apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Thank you, Gita. So I want to start this morning by saying thank you to all those who uh, brought us great questions last week. That was super fun to get to explore those with you. And that's kind of spilled out into the rest of this week. Um, I've gotten several great questions uh, that have been sent in online. Uh, my friend Mike from Arizona, who often joins us, uh, he sent me a great question this week. So some people that, you know, part of our church family even that have moved to other locations, uh, they got in on it, uh, asking some great questions, and it's so fun to explore those uh, with you. And today might be an extension, even though we're beginning a new sermon series, an extension of our great question series. And the great question we would be exploring throughout the next uh, probably eight weeks, I think we're going to be at this, is why worship? Why do we worship? And, and now, you know, before I get into why we worship, why we worship God and why we worship God the way we do, better yet might be the question, who do you worship or what do you worship? Because the reality is everybody worships someone or something. Nobody gets out of this. And the reality is we all adore something, we all praise something, we all offer our worship to someone or something. As we explore a great question of why worship, we're going to be looking at why do we worship Jesus Christ? And why do we take time to do that in corporate settings and personal settings? Paul presents us an opportunity to explore why we worship. And especially here in Ephesians 1 and Colossians, the passage that Karen read a little bit ago, uh, you may know about 50 to 60% of Ephesians and Colossians are, are similar. 
Uh, There's a lot of crossover. In both Ephesians and Colossians, Paul starts by just getting caught up in what we might say wonder, love, and praise in both cases, in the beginning of both of those letters. Paul does this because the starting point, really, of the Christian life is learning to adore and praise God. And it's as if, as he's praising and glorifying God in the letter, he's, he's kind of increasing his enjoyment. We're going to talk about that in a few moments. And also what happens for Paul, I think, is as he's offering God his praise and adoration, he's lifted up out of his own present circumstances, And if you remember, Paul is in prison, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But I think one of the key things about worship is we need to be lifted out of our present circumstances, our challenges. We need to have our eyes lifted up. We can be bowed down by all that consumes us, those things that we're focused on or kind of burdened by. And we need to have our eyes lifted back up in praise and adoration to God. He is the one who causes us to look up and to look out out and above what we're going through presently. And you know what happens, I believe, when we do that? We, it's sort of a, a cycle where we, we start to praise and adore God, we worship him, and then we find more and more reasons to do that as we go along. Some of you know that I have a practice of keeping a spiritual journal. Not everybody's a journaler, but I am. And one of the things that I do is keep what I call a gratitude journal. My, and I use one of those old school composition books. And part of the way I reason I do that is I'm going to school with Jesus every day. So I still need my composition book, even at 48. And I use the white space at the top of my composition book. I call that my gratitude space. And every day I start my day by thanking God for usually five things at least. And using that white space to just thank God for the beauty of his creation for the ability to go on a run and enjoy his creation. Today was the ability and the opportunity to worship God with you today, to delight in giving God praise together. So when we take time to give God thanks and praise, we're orienting our life in the right direction. We're we're basically experiencing the fundamental reason for our existence. Pastor Louis Giglio says, worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. So when we worship, we're responding to the God who has initiated with us. And we're going to look at a lot of that. Paul is all about how God is initiated with us and our worship is our response back to him. We do that both personally and corporately. But there's also a fundamental shift that takes place in our worship. William Temple would say it this way. Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of our conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of our imagination by his beauty, the opening of our heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose, and all of this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable and therefore the chief remedy for the self-centeredness which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. Now there was a lot there just in that quote. But what we're basically saying or what Temple is saying is when we submit ourselves to God, when we offer our adoration and praise to him, a fundamental shift is taking place. 
what happens is we're moving ourselves off the throne and we're putting God there. We're getting moving out of our self-centeredness and we're getting into a place of God-centeredness. And the reality is Calvin often thought that our hearts are basically idol-making factories. We're constantly making idols. And often, who do we idolize the most? Ourselves, right? We put ourselves on the throne. But when we do that, it just fundamentally does not work. Okay. John Piper would say, worship is what we were created for. This is the final end of all existence, the worship of God. God created the universe so that we could glorify him and reflect upon him, knowing and loving him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. Here's the key. The church needs to build a common vision of what worship is and what she is gathering to do on Sunday morning and then scattering to do on Monday morning. Worship is what we were created for. But it doesn't just encompass what we do here for one hour on a Sunday morning or if the preacher runs long, an hour and ten minutes. It incorporates our whole life. Worship is meant to spill out and over into Monday morning. Sometimes I like to go, I, I often get my gas and car filled up at, at Robinson's right here, just right by the, the church, and it's a good reminder. Whenever I pull into a gas station, I think of worship being our, our spiritual filling station. This is like we've pulled into the gas station and we're allowing God to fill us up through the power of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes by Sunday morning, I'm starting to run on empty in my life. I feel drained. I feel weak at times. And worship wakes me up to who God is once again. And God, through that experience and encounter of worship, fills me and prepares me to go out and serve him once again. We don't want to run on empty as followers of Jesus, we want to run on the fuel of the Holy Spirit to be filled by him and consumed by him and literally carried by him. So when we talk about who we are as a church, a central purpose to our church, when we say our mission is we invite people to discover, follow, love, and share Jesus, we see one of our key aspects of our life together is that we gather for worship. We invite people on in that way to discover Jesus by gathering for worship. And that discovery process that occurs in worship is one where, you know, we, we give God praise. And as we do so, we basically discover even more reason to give him praise. It's like it starts and then it just continues. Like when Greg led us in the confession, you know, it's, boy, I've got another reason to give him praise. I can be forgiven. And you know one of the things that happens in our worship? C.S. Lewis talked about this. How praise and adoration completes our enjoyment. Okay? So when we enjoy something, we delight to praise it or that person. And when we adore and when we enjoy them, it basically, or adore them, it increases our enjoyment. An example of this this morning. I love Jonathan's preludes. Okay? He played majesty on the piano. As, as we were gathering for worship. And what happened at the end of his prelude? We basically just, we clapped. Because we were so thankful to God that we were here in worship. And that Jonathan's playing sort of lifted our eyes above our circumstances. We might have walked in tired this morning. I'm really tired this morning. 
I ran a 5K in the morning and I coached a little league game in the afternoon. I am exhausted. But when I walked in and as I was starting to get centered myself and as Jonathan's playing, I was drawn out of that tiredness and basically into God's presence. And I noticed that we as a church clapped immediately after the prelude. And and not for Jonathan, but for God and his majesty and his glory. Because that's why we're here. When we invite people to discover Jesus by gathering for worship, what we're saying is we believe in both the gathered, but we also believe and in, in the scattered church. We gather here for corporate worship, and we prepare them to be scattered out in the world to carry out God's will and his way. And guess what? All of it is an act of worship. And Paul basically says as much, even in his introduction and, and, and in his background. What I want to remind you is as Paul draws us into this hymn of praise in the beginning of Ephesians 1, we need to remember that he is a recovering Pharisee. Paul had tried to reach or obtain a relationship with God through his own efforts. And, 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 and remember, Paul was even persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. But then we find in Acts 9, I believe, that Paul was on his way to Damascus with letters in hand to basically arrest Jesus' followers there. And there, there was a flash of light on the road to Damascus. And Paul was literally knocked to the ground. Knocked to his knees, and basically knocked to his knees by the glory and honor and, and just brightness of, of, of the glory that Jesus had revealed to him. And Paul there asked a great question, a fundamental question. He said, Who are you, Lord? And Jesus from heaven said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. And when Paul got up, basically the whole rest of his life was spent, lived as a living sacrifice to God. Honor and praise to God. It's almost as if Paul, in his life, while it was extremely active, in a way, he never got off his knees. All of it was an act of worship to God. His life was transformed in that encounter. So much so that even when things weren't going well for him, Paul offered his life to God. And one of the fundamental things here we can remember is he's not only a recovering Pharisee, he moved from a a rule-based attempt to reach God to a grace-based relationship with God. He was in prison when he wrote this letter. And I don't know about you, but if I picture myself in prison, I don't picture myself praising God in these kinds of words. I picture myself saying, why? Why am I here? I didn't do anything wrong. I'm innocent. Or, you know, why would you put me here? I want to go tell people about Jesus and I'm arrested and in prison. But notice how Paul doesn't sit there and lick his wounds and feel sorry for himself. He offers this hymn of praise to God in written letter to the church at Ephesus. And Paul was extremely uh, productive even while in prison. He wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon all while he was in jail. Paul didn't allow being in prison to limit his praise and worship of God. In fact, we could say it became more concentrated and more focused. It was more thoughtful as he wrote these words down or dictated them to his scribe. Paul literally maintained a posture of praise even while in prison. And even while in prison, he could claim himself as an apostle. He saw himself as one sent by God. Now, when you're in prison, you may not feel very sent. You may feel stuck. But Paul felt like he was, knew he had been sent. That when he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, his life had had been changed. And he was given new meaning and purpose. 
And he saw himself as what was called an apostelion, one who was sent. And Paul spent the rest of his life going for Jesus, but going again as an act of worship. Paul saw himself as on a mission for God. Now, I don't know, this is a little bit of a crass example, but many of you have seen the movie Blues Brothers. Come on, you've seen Blues Brothers, right? Okay, well, those guys, the, the two brothers, are basically, they talk about, like, I'm on a mission for God. Well, that mission's kind of carried out in funky ways, and, you know, the analogy breaks down quickly. But Paul was on a mission for God. He knew his life had been, was meant to be offered to Jesus. And so in Romans 12, 1, where he says, we're called to be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, that's the way he saw his own life. That his life was meant to be an act of worship. And know that the Greek word there in Romans 12, 1, latreia, is basically the same word for worship as well as service. Too often we juxtapose those things. Uh, you know, and Greg was talking about our mission a little bit. You know, we say we discover, follow, love, and share Jesus. And we want to serve Jesus in love for others. Really, those are one and the same. Or they should be conjoined. Our service to Christ should be an outflow of our worship of him. Okay? Because by the will of God, God decided to get a hold of our life and give us new meaning and purpose to go out and live out and to fulfill And each and every day, that should draw us into awe-inspired worship. I mean, every now and then I think about it. He chose me. He called me. He chose you. He called you. And we don't earn it or deserve it. I was struck by that last night as I prayed at the end of preparing the message. And literally the prayer was, who am I? Who am I to get up and preach in front of your people tomorrow? I haven't earned this. I don't deserve it. Uh, you know, I, I fall short. And yet in your grace and your mercy and in your, the peace that you have won for me between me and God, you've given me this amazing privilege to preach on these amazing words. And, and that should draw us up. And into the presence of God, celebrating his grace given to us through Jesus and the the peace that he has won for us. Paul would go on to say, in fact, in Ephesians 2, that Jesus is our peace. He is our source of peace. He's won peace between us, even in our rebellion and in our sin, between us and God. And he's shown us grace in our time of need. So that he would say in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it's by grace you have been saved, and this not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one could boast. In other words, being a Pharisee did not work. My relationship with God, and the reason why I worship God now, is because he showed me grace. Paul gets caught up in this and drawn into wonder, love, and praise. So he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 3. Know that verses 3 to 14 are all one sentence in the Greek. So when when the, the, uh, those that are really good with grammar in our church kind of say, hey, Mike, you know, you had a bunch of run-on sentences in the Sierra story this last week. Guess what? I'm in good company because Paul had one long run-on sentence from verse 3 to verse 14. It's in other words, he was so excited to share what he had to say about who God is. He didn't want to put a period on it. He didn't want to stop it. He just wanted it to spill out of him. So when you catch my run-on sentences, just remember, it's 
something spilling out of me. I'm so excited about it. I don't have time to stop with a period, okay? No, Paul was so excited about who God was and how he had been blessed by him. We could say this was one long doxology, one long act of praise. He just recited the reasons he has to give God worship and why to worship him. And notice that Paul's pattern is he speaks first of the blessings we have through the Father, then of those who come through the Son, and finally those through the Holy Spirit. So in this original Greek, these these 12 verses which constitute one single complex sentence dictated by Paul, his speech like poured out of him and and in like cascading scale. It's just this worship and praise that literally just pours out of his heart. In this opening prayer of, of 12 verses, you know, that we could break up into sentences, basically is a wonderful answer to the question, who is God then? And why do we worship him? And Paul would essentially say that we should never take for granted the fact that God, through Christ and through the presence of the Holy Spirit, has revealed himself in such a way that he's drawn us into a life of worship. Notice that even in that phrase, the Trinity is revealed. Praise be to the God and Father. He's the source of all blessings. And and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the the gift of the Son who's come and who is now reigning and ruling in heaven, uh, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. It talks about as we're going to get into in the heavenly realms. Spiritual blessing, that's about drawing us in through the Holy Spirit. So Paul's praise is Trinitarian in nature. He's talking about the dynamic relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And why we worship him is there's a completeness. There's a fullness there that is to be honored and recognized. God is to be praised. He's our loving Father who created us and created everything around us. And who ultimately has focused his revelation through the activity of Christ. You see, the God we praise, his activity in our lives occurs in and through Jesus. If you look over this passage in detail, you'll notice that the phrase, in Christ or in him, is there 14 times. Okay, And in in these 14 verses, Christ is referred to as uh, over 15 times. So in other words, Paul's praise to God, the Father, has its focus in his activity through Christ. God has blessed us in the King, in Jesus. He has chosen us in him. He's foreordained us through him. We'll talk about these things. Poured grace on us in him. Given us redemption in him. Set out his plan in him. Intending to sum up everything in him. We have obtained our inheritance in him. Because we have set out our hope on him. And we have been sealed in him with the spirit as a guarantee of what is to come. So Paul is relentless. Relentless in helping us see that the God we honor and praise and why we worship is he has revealed himself directly in the person of his son. It is in Christ that all these spiritual blessings are basically revealed or shown or proved. God is saying, you know, Paul is saying, look at Jesus and you get a sense fully and completely of who God is. He's not a God who has stayed far off. He's not a God that, you know, wants our praise but hasn't, you know, done anything to reveal himself or maybe earn that praise. 
He is a God who is worthy of our worship, both because of who he is, but also because of the way he has revealed himself in his son. So in those verses, Paul says, you know, five things particularly. He says, God is worthy of our worship because he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. There Paul is saying that the blessings we have are not ordinary blessings. They're not earthly blessings. Those are blessings that come from the heavenly realms. In other words, God pours out his blessings from heaven on us. You know, think about just, um, okay, let's, let's do it like this. If, if a coach, uh, let's go with the Super Bowl. Super Bowl, a team wins the game. Coach is starting to, you know, shake hands, run around. What happens? Somebody on the team pours a whole thing of Gatorade on his head. Now, that doesn't sound very nice to me. That'd be sticky. It'd be kind of gross to be covered in Gatorade, okay? But it's like, you know, this praise of, hey, the coach has won the Super Bowl, pours out of the Gatorade onto his head. Well, in a way, we could say here, and Paul is saying, it's like God's taking this eternal, vast, immeasurable thing of Gatorade, a blessing, and just gone to earth and said, He's wanted to cover us with his blessings. He's wanted to fill us. He's wanted to remind us that those blessings come to us in and through who God is as Father, Son, and and Holy Spirit. And he wants us to delight in him, in Christ. His delight is in his Son. And what I love about God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is it's this mutual admiration society. None of them are in it really for themselves. It's like God is saying, look at Jesus. And Jesus is saying, look at at the Father and the Holy Spirit saying, look at who God is. Momentary brag. My my oldest son won all four of his cross-country meets this, this year. And the last one at his home race just was filled with his teachers and his friends because it was there at Union Hill. And my favorite part was the finish line. And here's this kid who's been out in the woods running where nobody's watching for five minutes. And the last 10 seconds are run in front of other people who are cheering and plotting and, and welcoming you know, him in in a way. And the delight of a father in watching his son run is a delight I believe God takes in him. But even more, God takes in us. I, I just, you know, I had that sense, especially as you were serving as a church uh, over the last few weeks in the food outreach. It's like, you know, as I watched you serving and lifting and handing food and people filling their trucks and taking it to apartment complexes, I just had this sense of God there just like, way to go, church. Way to live out who I am in love and in care for this community that he loves and cares for much better than we do. God blesses us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then he goes on to say, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Would you, would you just pause with me for a second and think about that? Before Genesis 1, before the Spirit hovered over the waters, before God said, let there be light, he had Dave Anderson in mind. He had John Wetzel in mind. He had Linda Rasmussen in mind. He had Judy Arian in mind. He had Daniel Rodriguez in mind. You know, I mean, before the Spirit's hovering, before God's pouring out, you know, sun and moon, light, stars, night, day, night, sky, land, ocean, land, he thought of you. He wanted to create you. 
And the, and the rest is basically the playing field upon which he believes relationship can occur. And what an amazing playing field we live in. God had you in mind. Before, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. He chose you. He claimed you. He wanted relationship with you. He signed up for a life with you in creating you and bringing you into being. God had you in mind when he created. And it says he chose us in grace. In other words, he didn't choose you because you're, you're great. <laughs> he choose, chose you because he's great and because he loves you and he wanted relationship with you. And one of those great questions last week was, well, did God have to create? Was he somehow like boring, bored, lonely, insufficient in himself? No, God was full, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, having a great time, doing wonderful in heaven. But out of the richness of relationship there, God spilled out in creation. It says, in love, he predestined us to be adopted in his son, as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. In love is in agape. In other words, it wasn't in, in what they've done, they've earned it or deserved it. No, why we worship God is, it was in agape, in unconditional love and favor, he chose and predestined to be in a relationship with you. And that's hard stuff to understand. Calvin spent six chapters of his institutes trying to explain predestination. And then I love it, at the last line of, of six chapters worth of sorting through this mind-blowing stuff, he just says in the last line, but it's a mystery. It's like, well, why didn't you tell me that in the beginning? And I could have spent six chapters wrestling with this mystery instead of trying to think I could understand everything. No, last line, but, you know, it's a mystery. It's like, oh, come on. No, but, but we understand what, what we have to understand about predestination. We have to understand about election, adoption is it is in love. It's in love. None of us earned or deserved a relationship with God. Nobody is saved because of what they have done. The only reason we are adopted or claimed, predestined to be sons and daughters of the living God is that God decided, chose, claimed you in love. And that is huge. It's not meant to be divisive. It's meant to be an inclusive reality that we find our identity in him. Because as adopted sons or daughters, what Paul is saying is none of us are naturally born. None of us earned our way to be there. All of us were claimed outside of the family and pulled into the family. And when we're part of a church like this, we know that. We, you know, I have this sense that outside of the church and our connection with Christ... You know, we wouldn't have a point of connection. We wouldn't be drawn into relationship. But in and through being part of church that worships God together, we become family. Adopted sons and daughters of the living God who are intimately connected. I know your voices. When we praise God here together, I can hear you individually. You may be scared of that, like, oh no, I don't have that great of a voice. Pastor Mike's hear me. Have you heard me? I have a terrible singing voice. But in that, we become part of a, a family, drawn together in praise and worship of God. In him, it says, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. In other words, we have been redeemed. We've been claimed, made family. Again, the word redeemed there is to be bought back, 
to be claimed back. We have a deliverance by the payment of a price, and that price we spent a lot of time talking about leading up into Easter, that Christ would be willing to die for us and to, to pay the ultimate price for our, a, to have a relationship with God. That price paid was extremely costly. It cost the shedding of Christ's blood when he died for our sins on the cross as an expression of the riches of his grace. And I love that. The riches of his grace that he lavishes upon us. So if we think of uh, why we worship God, the fullness of relationship, if it costs Jesus, just know that there was this, the riches of God's grace led Jesus to pay that cost. And And I have a sense that the riches of God's grace are immeasurable. Okay, there, there's no, there's never going to run out. It's just this full, consistent bank account of riches, of, of grace that he can give out. So even in the costly nature of Christ's sacrifice, I think God even ha- has more to give because he continues to show us grace and mercy that are new every morning, right? He then says, in him, again, in Christ, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So God's intention is to choose us for a relationship. He's, he predestined that. He pre-planned to have a relationship with us. And then he works that out in conformity with the purpose of his will. His will is being worked out each and every day in this world. And it's about that discovery of identity of who God is, and our, and our understanding of him that we grow in and we continue to discover each and every day. But also, it's an understanding and discovery of who we are in him. That we belong to him. That our identity is in him. That, that, that we're no longer separated from him. And Paul wraps up this first part by basically saying all this is to the praise of his glory. And I want you to notice that that phrase, his glory, is there three times. Uh, in verse 6, in accordance with the pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. In other words, God gets pleasure and, 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 and it's, it's the fulfillment of his will when we give him praise. He delights in our praise. And in verse 12, it says, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. The reason we were created was to glorify and honor him. You may remember the, the first part of the Westminster Confession. What is the chief end of man and women? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And finally in verse 14, having believed you are marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. In other words, what God had planned and designed before the creation of the world that flows out into the revelation of Jesus, his son, is sort of completed through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know what? We don't often necessarily wake up with this sense of, yeah, I want to praise God. There are times when we do, which is awesome. But I believe the Holy Spirit is the one who inspires that praise and worship. When we're tired, when we're weary, Paul's here in prison. It's not Paul. That, that, that lead, you know, in his humanity that spills out in this praise and worship of God. It's the Holy Spirit meeting Paul in a dark jail cell and inspiring his worship to lift his eyes up out of his present circumstances and into the presence of God. Why do we worship? 
because he deserves our worship, because we owe him our worship. Why do we, why does that practically, how is that practically revealed? Because he's revealed himself in the person of his son. And in him, we've been claimed, chosen, adopted, many different terms to express the same reality that we are his, that you are not your own, that you are bought with a price. And therefore, we should spend the rest of our lives honoring and praising him. Friends, if you offer your worship to anyone else or any other thing, I will guarantee you that that person or thing will let you down, will fall short of your expectations and your hopes. The reason why we worship God is he's the only one who can bear the weight of that glory, can bear the weight of our honor, can bear the weight of our time and attention and our, and our offering of praise to him. And if you haven't discovered that yet, my hope is that you do in the context of this sermon or this series, that this is an opportunity to inspire you to offer your whole selves to God and that you would spend the rest of your life figuring out what that looks like and how God deserves it and just each and every day wake up to more and more of that reality of, of why we worship God and how he is worthy of our worship. Mark's going to come up and lead us in prayer uh, next as he does. I'm going to kind of start that prayer here and then invite him to continue it. God, you are worthy of our worship and we thank you and praise you for who you are. Thank you that you would choose a relationship with us, broken and flawed as we are. And thank you that in Jesus you have redeemed us, you've restored us, you bought us back at great price to yourself through Christ. Thank you that you fill us with your spirit and you inspire our praise. So we pray that you would hear us as we continue to talk with you, as we continue to pray to you. Thank you.